0: this week as we look in God's Word to consider the picture of Christmas and maybe look at it a little bit differently and how God's plan, his, this whole Christmas season is not just about the, the trees and the decorations, the presents, but it's really about the peace, the prince of peace of this world coming into the world. And bringing peace to our lives, bringing true shalom. So, this morning, as we look in Luke chapter 1 at the story of Mary, one who was scared to death at what was coming. (laughs) As you're turning there, let me ask you a quick question How many of you remember the fall of 1980? Fall of 1980. How many of you were not even alive in 1980? This section right here, okay. I was 11 years old-ish, almost 12, I think 6th grade. Who remembers what was going on? Huge events taking place in the fall of 1980. What was going on? Anybody remember? I don't mean the presidential election. I don't mean the Iran hostages. Who remembers the huge climatic event that took place in our country? No. One question was in everybody's mind. Who shot JR? <laughs> right? You guys all remember the TV show Dallas? And I never watched it. But I do remember very clearly the guy from My Dream of genie. That was my show. I watched that for the astronauts. I remember, I don't even remember what the guy's name was in I Dream of a Genie. I do remember Larry Hagelin was the actor's name. I remember this big, massive, almost a baseball cap, cowboy hat that he wore on Dallas. And all the commercials or who shot Jr.? who shot Jr.? and all these pictures of him working in his office, and all of a sudden he looks up and he ticked enough people off that somebody decided to come in and take him out. So the question in everybody's mind from the end of one season to the next was, who shot Jr.? And everybody waited, and they waited, and they waited, anticipating the answer. I have no idea what the answer is. You'll have to go back and watch the reruns if you're into that. But imagine as breathless as our country was and those who were into that show, as anticipating the answer to that question was, imagine waiting not just a couple months, like it's tough enough now from the end of one season of NCIS to the next, and... (gasps) It's, what's going to happen? But is Gibbs going to come back? Is this going to happen? Oh, we, we can't wait just a few months from end of this season to the next one or whatever your favorite show is. If they've gotten experts now at all these TV shows and all these movies of getting you ready and gearing you up for the next one, the next Marvel movie is just out around the corner, right? Imagine not waiting months or maybe a couple years, not even decades but centuries waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. And more than centuries, even millennia. For 4,000 years, the promise of God had been given to his people. I'm going to send a Messiah. Don't worry, it's going to happen. He's going to come. My Messiah is going to come. The Savior is going to come. And when he comes, he's going to bring peace to the world and peace into your lives. He's going to bring shalom to you. And so the people waited. The followers of God waited. Not just the Israelites, but even those Gentiles who became followers of God. You know, there were a lot of Gentiles in Israel the Jewish community there those who came and became Jews in Jewish faith and they began they also bought into this and began anticipating the messiah 1000 years 2000 years 3000 years 4000 years is he really going to do it is, is God really going to fulfill his promise? That has to be in everybody's mind. It would have been on mine. I mean, we, Sure, we've got it written down, and, and, and God's kept all of his other promises, but can we really trust him to keep this promise? That must have been in the back of their minds. So that when Gabriel appears to Mary, Imagine the excitement and the fear that must have just, the emotions that have overwhelmed her, and she heard the announcement from the angel, you are going to carry the Savior. You are going to give birth to the Messiah, and he's going to bring peace to the world. It's going to be a silent night, a holy night, and that." place what kind of emotions were going through mary's head as she heard this announcement from the angel of god from gabriel i'd have been scared i'd have been scared to death (laughs) let's take a look at that this morning and see what it is that mary felt and what happened to her and how when she heard the announcement of the prince of peace how we can also discover the Prince of Peace ourselves. And not just peace as we define it, with a checking account that's not in the red, or with health that is on the mend, or everything is going well. I mean true peace, complete peace, as God wants us to experience the shalom. Luke chapter 1 this morning. Let's look first at the angelic appearance. Luke chapter 1 verse 26 says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at his saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Let's break that down a little bit. This, Gabriel, this angel, Gabriel, the same one who appeared to Zacharias just a year and, or six months earlier, six months-ish earlier, and He said, your wife, well, Zacharias is in the temple, remember? Uh, he's, he's offering his sacrifices in the temple. He's been selected randomly without any outside influence. Except God's plan. Gabriel appears and said, Your wife's going to give birth. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> and for that lack of faith and for that unbelief, he was silenced until his wife would give birth. And we know that baby became John the Baptist. This is the same angel that appeared to Daniel in the Old Testament. As Daniel was praying in his upper room, as he often was, as he was known to, and three times a day facing Jerusalem. And he prayed earnestly for the salvation of his people. And Gabriel appears. After a time. He says, I'm sorry I was delayed. I was fighting fighting the demons in the West. I was delayed coming to you to bring the answer of God. But from the moment you began praying, God sent me. God sent the answer from the moment you began praying. But I was delayed. I apologize. But here's the answer. So this same Gabriel is being sent now by God to bring the message of peace and joy and the message of the Messiah to Mary, this young girl, betrothed, engaged to Joseph. And he says, oh, favored one, guess what? I got some news for you. And she's uh, a little confused. She says, well, how can I get pregnant? Because I am have never seen, never known a man. See, back then, they got pregnant the same way you do today. The Greek word used in in that Luke chapter, everybody's like, really? I didn't know that. (laughs) Mary's the only one that's not gotten pregnant the same way as all the rest of you ladies. (laughs) The Greek word used there in Luke, the word parthenos, means virgin like we understand it to be today. A woman who's not experienced a physical relationship with a man, or a man does not experience a physical relationship with a woman. That's how it was understood back then. That's how we understand it today. There's been some debate over the time of, well, maybe she wasn't really a virgin. maybe something happened. Uh, Isaiah 7:14 says that the Lord himself gave you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive and have a son. And the name will, they will name him Emmanuel. See, because that prophecy in Isaiah had a double meaning. So questions have come up among liberal theologians, well, maybe God didn't really mean a virgin virgin like we think of it today. Maybe it was just as, it was fulfilled in Isaiah's time, it was just a young woman was going to rise up and and bring forth a Savior. See, because at that time when Isaiah wrote that, when he prophesied this, Ahaz he prophesied this to Ahaz. This prophecy is a double fulfillment. One to Ahaz himself and his his group, and then one we see forward. Luke applies it, and Matthew applies it in the New Testament. Ahaz was facing destruction, as many of the Israeli kings did. Egypt was coming on strong, and they were wanting to take him over and take him under them under their wing as a servant country. Ahaz is getting all worried, and he goes... He's get word from Assyria. Assyria says, if you come and you align yourself with us, we'll take care of you. We'll fight Egypt on your behalf. Ahaz isn't sure he wants to do that. He goes to the prophet of God, Isaiah. What should I do? And Isaiah says, don't fear. God's going to provide your salvation. And it's going to happen, as I just read. A young woman, a virgin, is going to give birth, and that babe will be the salvation of your people. Isaiah says, Uh, yeah no I'm not going to wait that long (laughs) I, I need to do something now so he ends up aligning himself with Assyria and yeah we know what happens afterwards but a young woman did give birth to a baby and that baby did rise up to become a savior salvation for his people 600 years later Christ is born After spending spending three years with him, the disciples realized, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that this prophecy in Isaiah, it also related to to Jesus' condition as well. And so they said, a virgin will give birth. And not just any virgin. One who has been favored by God. See, his conception was totally, totally unique. His mom? Imagine what it would be like to have God say to us, Oh favored one. Oh favored one. One strong in faith. One who is, I want to lift you up and I want to do mighty, do, do something awesome and wonderful through you. Oh favored one. Not just favored, highly favored. In our Baptist circles, we tend to downplay Mary because we are afraid of lifting her up like our like Catholicism does, and and others have. We're, we we kind of downplay her, but here is a woman who God says you are going to be the mother of me, <laughs> essentially, and my Holy Spirit, me, gonna come inside you and I'm going to grow inside you and then I'm going to be born and then I'm going to live 33 years and then die for all people. Essentially is what God was saying. And through this birth, through this life, through this death and resurrection, I'm going to bring peace to the world. Oh favored one. Highly favored in fact god 's grace the word for favor there is the same word for grace, very similar, and it says you not only am I going to show favor but you are to be full of grace, and my grace is going to come upon you. My grace is going to fill you god's riches at christ's expense, the grace of God, undeserved merit so we don't deserve the love of God we don't deserve." His favor, we don't deserve squat from God because we are sinners and we have all rejected God. It's only through His grace and His unmerited favor shown upon us that we can then become a friend of God again, that we can then be drawn into a relationship with Him again and experience that peace of God that He desires us to have. See, that baby that was going to be born was going to be our redeemer. That baby that was born was going to live a perfect life. That baby that was born was going to live and die and redeem us and bring us back into relationship with God again. God's plan. Remember two weeks ago, the timing was not surprising to God. The person who's going to carry the baby was not surprising to God. He planned it all. 4,000 years before this event, he already had it planned out and knew exactly who, what, where, when, why, how, and all the questions that we like to ask. He already knew. And 2,000 years from that point, it was us. And he knows each and every one of us. He knows and plans each and every one of us and draws us into his presence and desires us to grow in knowledge and faith and wisdom and who he is, and to gets to experiences this wonderful blessed relationship with him. Oh favored one. See Jesus was going to be our redeemer. Jesus was going to be our redeemer, nobody else. Catholicism teaches that one Jesus was perpetually virgin, that she, even through the rest of her life she maintained her virginity. Even with all the other kids that she had. They also teach that she is a co-redemptrix with Jesus. Y'all know what that means? That the she does the redeeming as well. Bible speaks to neither of those things. Bible speaks to neither of those things. Jesus is our only redeemer. He is the only one we turn to. He is the only one who can free us from our sins, from the penalty and the power of sins in this life. So you have the angelic appearance, and you also have the stunning announcement of Gabriel to, to Mary. Look there in verse 31, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever and ever and ever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child will be born, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, will also conceive a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was, who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. See, so she found out that she was going to give birth to a son. And that she was to call his name Jesus, or Emmanuel, meaning God is with us jesus or the hebrew word joshua means savior god saves because he was going to save his people and not just the i don't mean just the israelites not just the jews but to all who believed in him he gave the right to become sons of god isn't that awesome We don't have to be Jewish. We don't have to go back into the law. We don't have to do any of these things. We must believe in him and he can become our redeemer again. We believe in him. We trust in him. We turn ourselves over to him. We give our lives to him. We say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done some bad things. I choose to follow you and to live according to your commands and to honor you as God. He says, welcome into my family. How tough is that? We like to put all these Requirements on, on everybody. Okay, if you're going to believe, you've got to do this and this and this and this and this and this. If you're really a believer, this is what your life is going to look like. If you're really going to prove yourself, God says, you don't have to prove yourself. I died for you. So that you don't have to put yourself under the law again. Now, when you do believe, you're going to do some of these things. You're going to do many of these things because out of love and out of a desire because you want to spend time with God. You want to spend time with his people. You want to do these things out of love, no longer out of compulsion. When you're under the law, you do things to justify yourself. I'm compelled to offer these sacrifices. I'm compelled to live this way. I'm compelled to speak this way. I'm compelled to go... And do X, Y, and Z to prove myself to God. And God says, you don't have to prove anything to me. I love you. I came and died for you. See, Jesus was called great, and not just great, he was, he was really great. And we know some great people of the past, right? George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, people who stood up within our country, and there's others all around the world. People who stood up and did great things. But their greatness pales in comparison to what Christ did. Their greatness pales in comparison to Christ, to Jesus, our Savior and Redeemer, the Prince of Peace. So whenever we hear somebody say, oh, that's a great deed or that's a great person, think no, they're baby greats. We serve the ultimate great one. The one who is greater than all. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the prince of peace who came and died for you and me to redeem us back to himself. Notice too that Mary didn't reject the plan of the angel as Zacharias did. She accepted the plan. She just wanted some specifics. uh, Angel, I know you may not know this, but Something's required to put a baby in here. I need to know how that's going to happen. But she was totally willing to receive the announcement of the angel. Probably caught her off guard. Would have caught me off guard. But she was totally willing to be that instrument that God chose to use to bring redemption and peace to the world. Lastly, we've got Mary's selfless sacrifice. Now think about this for a minute. What was she giving up to follow God's directive in her life? Verse 38 says, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. She didn't say, Well, I would like to, but I, I know this is what you said, how I'm, this is what's going to happen, but I've got a couple requests of my own. Can you wait till after the marriage? I've got a couple of requests. Uh, I'm a little afraid what might happen. um, See, like Abraham, she believed. The Bible says that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. When God gave Abraham the promise, he said, I'm going to build in you, I'm out of you, I'm going to bring a huge nation, a great nation. And then he had Abraham line up those animals. He cut them in half and lined them up and stood at one end. And the blood's flowing down the trench. It's like signing a contract today. We talk about signing a contract in blood. Literally, God signed the contract in blood with Abraham. And in most contracts, who signs the contract? Everybody involved, right? If it's a you're buying a house, when Regina and I bought the house, we both had to sign the contract. If I had signed it by myself, she would have wondered what's going on. <laughs> and so would, the, so would our realtor. <laughs> when you sign a contract, you get the bill of sale and, the, and both everybody involved, the seller and the buyer, you all do it. When Abraham lined up those animals and the blood was flowing down the middle, making a contract with God, God says, you stand over on the edge. You stand at the foot and the light of God cross through. And he says, by my name I will fulfill this. I will make sure this covenant gets fulfilled. It's nothing dependent upon Abraham, nothing dependent on the ancestors of Abraham, nothing I on mean, the descendants of Abraham, nothing dependent on him. what anybody else does. I will make sure this happens. And he believed. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Mary believed. The angel. She could have offered the excuses like Moses did. Oh, Moses! Remember Moses at the burning bush. God, I would like to lead my people out of Egypt, but um, I can't talk real well. <laughs> Fine. i I'll Listen, I'll let your brother Aaron do it for you. Oh, but God, you he says you see that? Put your put your hand inside your thing, your robe. Pull it out, full of leprosy. Put it back in. It's all gone. What's that? What's in your hand? Oh, it's a rod. Cast it to the ground. What happens? Oh, it's a snake. Run away. No, pick it up now by the tail, not by the head. Okay, God, are you sure? (laughs) Because, you know, it's a scary-looking snake down there. Moses made all kinds of excuses. God still used him. Mary, let it be to me as you have said. No excuses. Aren't we good at making excuses when God asks us to do something? Aren't we great? We are the perfect excuse makers. We can find excuses for everything, kind of like the Broncos losing season. They find every excuse under the sun to. We do the same thing. God says, I want you to live a certain way. I want you to go talk to this one person. I want you to whatever it is go to this place, go to that place, go overseas, stay here. I want you to take on more responsibility. I want you to lead a class. I want you, whatever it may be, we are great excuse makers. But God, it's hot in there. But God, the room's small. But God, I don't like the colors. But, but God, the pastor talks too fast. But, but God, um, there's a tree in the front yard stopping me from doing whatever. If you're going to make a bad excuse, might as well make a really bad excuse, right? The tree is stopping me. We are the greatest excuse makers in the world. Mary says, let it be to me. As you have said, no excuses. No trying to justify her position. So she was taking this huge, ginormous risk, right? Here she was going to become pregnant outside of wedlock. She was not yet married, and now she had to go to Joseph and say, uh, I got some news for you. We talked about Joseph last week. She had to face her parents. She had to face her community. She had to face her friends, the scorn. And she said, let it be to me, as you've said. I'm willing to follow and do as God wants. See, she was not just thinking about herself. She's thinking about the promised Messiah that had been promised not just 700 years earlier under Isaiah, 600 years earlier under Isaiah, but had been promised for 4,000 years the Messiah of God was going to come through her. and The peace, the shalom of God was going to finally enter into the world. The peace that people have been looking for. The peace that the world was longing for and trying to find every other avenue to provide peace, it was going to come through a little eight-pound, 20-inch baby boy. I don't know how big he was. I'm just spouting off. What is peace? What does it really mean? Taking what is broken. Did you hear that? Taking what is broken and restoring it to wholeness. That's what the Messiah came to So each and every one of us has a hole in our heart It was broken by sin. Our relationships in this world have been broken by sin because we are sinful people. And Jesus came to bring shalom between husband and wife, parents and children, between neighbors, between God and his people. A while back, Franklin Graham, in speaking of persecution of Christians around the world, was asked this question. He asked about Muslims and Islam and about it being a religion of peace. He said, It's not a religion of peace, it's a religion of war. See, they believe the only way they can have real assurance of eternal life is to die in a holy war. And he made a comment that was pretty profound. Frank Graham said that his message to Muslims was very simple. And I quote, he says, you don't have to die for God. He died for you. He sent his son to die for you. See, and that's exactly why we celebrate Christmas. Because someone wise has said that all the other religions of the world seek after God, but only the gospel of Christ is on record, is a record of God coming down and seeking us. This advent, this birth of this baby, it's God coming down to seek after his people, to seek after us, you and me, to redeem us, to bring peace, to bring shalom back to our lives again. And we try to fill our lives with so many other things. We try to fill it with education. We try to fill it with food. We try to fill it with relationships. We try to fill it with status and jobs. We try to fill it with everything that we can think of. And we can never have true peace in our lives, complete, whole peace in our broken lives until we humble ourselves and receive Christ. Until we humble ourselves and say, God, I give up all that I've been working toward. I give up everything that I have. I give up all that I am. I humble myself. I abase myself before you. And I want to give it all up for you because I want that peace that only comes from a relationship with you. See, this Christmas is so much more than just the story of a little baby. This Christmas story that we celebrate is so much more than the songs and the presents and the trees and lights and decorations and all the other stuff. It's about this relationship that God wants with us. We look at our lives and say, well, I've done enough, haven't I? I don't know, have you? Are you where God wants you to be spiritually? Are are we at that point where we know God as He wants us to know Him? Are we honoring Him with our lives to experience that true peace, the shalom that only comes when we submit ourselves to the Prince of Peace? Let me bow your heads and close your eyes just for a second. As we close up this service, the worship time, worship God desires, He He wants us to have this peace. He wants us to understand His redemption. He wants us to to be able to experience the fullness of life that only He can give us. And you would say, Pastor, as I sit here this morning, I may be a believer. I may have received Christ at some point in my life. I may have, walked an aisle, signed a card, gotten baptized, but I am not experiencing the peace of God. And by his upraised hand, you say, Pastor, that is me. I am not experiencing the peace of God, and I desire the shalom, this peace of God in my life. I want to pray for you this morning. If you'd lift up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I am not going through peace. Thank you, thank you. All around the room. I am not experiencing peace in my life, and I need to experience the peace of Christ peace of Christ.